Hello everyone and welcome to Classic Gaming Today, where we take a look at the gaming experiences of the past through the eyes of the present. I am your host Tony, and today we're going to look at The Terminator, a side-scrolling run-and-gun developed by Probe Software and published by Virgin Games for the Sega Genesis in 1992, developed and published by Mindscape for Super Nintendo in 1993, and developed and published by Virgin Games for Sega CD also in 1993. That is right, we're looking at three different Terminator titles today, so a little bit of a different experience. We're going to be getting to that in just a minute or so, but as is customary, first we do have a little bit of housekeeping. This is episode number 29, and I remain excited to be here. I hope all of you are as well. I truly do want to build a community, and I would love to hear from all of you, and there are a couple of ways you can reach out. I do have an email address, which is classicgamingtoday at gmail.com. I also have a Twitter account with the handle at ClassicGamingT. So if anybody feels so inclined to reach out, have a discussion, provide feedback, comments, suggestions, uh, possible recommendations for future games to look at, I would love to hear from you. For anyone who may be new, welcome. I do just want to take a brief moment and talk about the anatomy of an episode, because for the most part, all of our episodes follow a very similar format and structure. We will always start by talking about the history of the game or games in question and the historical context around the game's creation, why was it created, how was it created, and where does it sit in the overall video game historical context. After that, we will do a pseudo-review, and I say pseudo-review because it's not like we assign a numerical ranking or quantitative analysis for any of these games, but we do talk about every single game from several different perspectives. We will always talk about the graphics. How does the game look? The sound and music. How does the game sound? The narrative and or story, if the game has one. Playability and controls. And the overall feel. What does the game feel like to play today versus when it was released 20, 25, 30, however many years ago? We do all that to reach a verdict as far as how well the game holds up today. And to do that, we assign each game to one of several categories. At the very top of our list is the Pantheon of Classic Gaming. If a game reaches the Pantheon, you know it is a darn good experience. You should still play it today. It has barely aged at all. It is a true and verifiable classic. Just beyond the Pantheon are our Golden Oldies. These are the games where they're still really good experiences. I still highly recommend them, especially if you have nostalgia for the game or you enjoy the genre itself. You're almost guaranteed to have a good time. Absolutely give it a go. These are just not quite at Pantheon level. Still amazing experiences nonetheless. 
Beyond that, we get to our mediocre mentions, and these are the games where I can't really recommend them to the general population. They may have aged a bit more poorly than other games, or they might have had a couple of issues to begin with. You could still give it a shot, especially if you have a love or fondness for the genre in which the game lives, or you have some memories of the game, absolutely go for it. But for the general population, this is where we get into the I don't know that I can really wholeheartedly recommend these experiences. And then beyond the mediocre mentions, we get to the footnotes. These are the games that are best left in the annals of history. I have played them, so you don't have to. I cannot recommend to anyone to play these games. They have either aged incredibly poorly, or they may not have been all that great to begin with. With that out of the way, we're going to start talking about the game of the day, and that is... The Terminator. The Terminator was a side-scrolling run-and-gun released for several 16-bit systems, the Super Nintendo, the Genesis, and the Sega CD, all between 1992 and 1993. And as you might surmise, especially because I already said so, we're going to look at not just one game today, but we're actually going to look at all of the 16-bit Terminator releases. I thought it'd be interesting to mix things up a little bit and do a bit of a compare and contrast between the three different 16-bit Terminator releases. So that's what we're going to do for this episode. Now, unlike many games... These are not simple ports of some base game. A lot of times when we talk about games, especially on different systems, they are usually ports from one to another, and they might have some differences, but they're still working off of a same common baseline. Each of these three games, though, are actually completely different experiences. So I did think it would be interesting to take a look at how three different consoles would handle the same licensed property, especially considering each of the individual games are truly unique. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do, we have to talk about what the Terminator is. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to 1982, when a young miniature model maker and special effects director was about to make his feature film directorial debut on a movie that would actually be released into the theaters. That person is James Cameron. And James Cameron is a pretty common name nowadays, with numerous big-budget films under his belt, including the relatively recently released Avatar The Way of Water, which made oodles of money at the box office. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, though, he was pretty much just a random name on a film's cast list. He began his career as a miniature model maker for Roger Corman Studios and would go on to manage and create special effects for several films in the early 80s. 
1982, he was working as special effects director on Piranha 2, one of the many creatures from the deep kind of stories that were prevalent in the years following the original Jaws cinematic release in 1975. Jaws was one of those films where something comes out and it does something so unique, so different that it spawns a ton of imitators. And the Piranha series was one of those imitators. Rather than focusing on sharks, it would, of course, focus on Piranha. And James Cameron was working on Piranha 2 back in 1982. During production, the film's original director decided to quit because of creative differences between him and the movie's producer, after which James Cameron was tapped to take over responsibilities for directing the title. So Cameron's debut as a Hollywood director wouldn't exactly set the world on fire. And in fact, uh, Piranha 2 was cited by some critics as, and I'm using this term in quotes or this phrase in quotes, a marvelously bad film. However, something would happen during that production, which would serve as a spark of inspiration. And that inspiration would, in fact, lead on to bigger and better things for James Cameron. At some point while he was working on the film, Cameron developed a fever and fell ill. And while trying to rest up and feeling the effects of both his illness and the stress of working on his first film as a director, Cameron had a nightmare. In it, a robotic man from the future was sent back in time to find and assassinate him. Using that dream as an inspiration, James Cameron wrote up a rough slasher-style story, having been inspired by working with John Carpenter previously, John Carpenter being the director who was perhaps most famous for the iconic slasher film Halloween with Michael Myers. Over time, the slasher story that James Cameron had come up with would be refined into more of a sci-fi action-chase thriller, with an insanely muscled cyborg from a post-apocalyptic future being sent back in time to assassinate the woman who would eventually give birth to the leader of the human resistance in the fight between man and machine. That film, as many are likely aware, would become the cinematic classic Terminator. Originally developed on a budget of about $6 million, Terminator would hit number one at the box office in its first week of release in 1984 and would go on to gross $78 million worldwide during its theatrical run. Now, you might assume with such a strong release, and remember, not everything was a blockbuster in 1984. We're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being the norm back then. So a $78 million gross, not such a bad turnout for a relatively unknown director. So with that release, and with the combination of sci-fi elements and action set pieces that the film would become famous for, you might assume that a video game adaptation for Terminator would be a natural fit. But remember, the video game industry was still reeling over the disastrous E.T. Atari game from 1982, and that was a title based on a film that grossed hundreds of millions of dollars in 1982 money. So... That is a ridiculous sum, especially compared to The Terminator. Now, by the time the video game market recovered from this downturn with the release of the Nintendo Entertainment System, nobody was really thinking about Terminator anymore. There were countless other current-day blockbusters to convert into lackluster video games, so the Terminator license would sit for years before finally being resurrected by Sunsoft in 1989. Now, you might be saying... We've talked about licensed video games before. Aren't they almost always awful cash grabs that barely follow the plot of the film or television show that they're based on? 
Well, yes, yes, they are. But Sunsoft actually was a great choice for a Terminator game as they were fresh off the release of Batman for the NES, a title which, at least within the context of video game movie translations, was pretty darn good, or at least I remember really enjoying it. We might look at it eventually to see if it still holds up today, but I remember really enjoying Batman for the NES back when it originally came out. Anyway, with the Terminator license firmly in hand, Sunsoft began developing the title. Rather than focus on a simple retelling of the film's story, Sunsoft decided to instead focus on a more future-centric narrative, where you play as Kyle Reese, a human resistance fighter, and his battle against the evil Skynet Corporation and their various robotic creations. Now, Kyle had previously appeared in the Terminator film, serving as a bodyguard savior of sorts to Sarah Connor, who was the Terminator's original assassination target. In this game, we wouldn't see any of that story. We would see the post-apocalyptic future, and that future was only shown very briefly during the actual film, so that gave Sunsoft a bit more creative license to be able to do things that may not have necessarily been directly shown in the film itself. Sunsoft thought they were onto something, but unfortunately, the rights holders for the Terminator license didn't see the same thing, and that license was subsequently pulled from the title because they weren't following the movie's storyline close enough. So, Sunsoft was forced to change the game's plot and graphics, removing any references that would make it appear to be a Terminator-based game. The revised title would eventually be released as Journey to Silius, a game that I haven't personally played, yet, but it does look pretty good based on a couple of brief gameplay videos I checked out. Also, the music for that game sounds crazy good. Regardless, with that failed attempt at a Terminator game, the license would once again sit in limbo until eventually in 1991, when suddenly focus on the Terminator would resurface, and in a big way. You might be asking why. Why was a 1984 movie suddenly coming back into the spotlight nearly a decade later? Well, the reason for that is because Terminator 2 was being ready to be released into the theaters. In the intervening years between 1984 and 1991, James Cameron had made a name for himself as a star director. Beyond Terminator, he had worked on other commercial and critical successes, such as Aliens and The Abyss, and the fact that both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton were going to return for Terminator sequel, coupled with Cameron's new blockbuster director status, meant that there was significant hype for the film. That hype translated into video game developers scrambling to jump on the bandwagon, with 1991 finally seeing the release of the first game based on the original Terminator film. That game would be created for the Microsoft DOS computer platform by Bethesda Softworks and would go on to receive moderately positive reviews. That particular game, however, is not the focus of this episode. What I do want to focus on are the three 16-bit interpretations of The Terminator that would follow in 1992 and 1993, titles that would span several different systems. The Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, and the Sega CD. Now, I do want to note that there were several releases for 8-bit systems as well, such as the NES and the Sega Master System, but we're not going to talk about the 8-bit versions of the game today. So, let's start chronologically by talking about the Sega Genesis version of the title, which would be developed by Probe Software and published by Virgin Games in 1992. 
This one is a bit interesting, as the game's original focus was, similar to the failed Sunsoft adaptation, not necessarily focused on retelling the story of the film, but would rather be more of an adjacent experience with an entirely different perspective. Rather than play as Kyle Reese in a time-spanning adventure where you try to prevent the Terminator's assassination of Sarah Connor, the concept behind this title would be you playing as a Terminator. Rather than being the hero, you would be the villain. And that concept was conceived by game developer David Perry, whose most well-known work up to that point had been the creation of the Sega Genesis version of Aladdin, a title that pulled off some insane graphical tricks to include true Disney animation in the game. They actually had Disney animators working on the game. We're going to actually look at Aladdin in a future episode, so keep an eye out for that one. Anyway, Perry was beginning to become an influential member of the game industry, but in 1992, he just wasn't quite there yet. So his pitch for a Terminator-centered experience was rejected by Orion Pictures, who was the distributor for the original film. They mandated that any game based on the original Terminator film had to follow the general plot of the movie. There couldn't be any creative deviations like Perry was suggesting. I will say... We've talked about licensed properties before, and we've looked at licensed games, and we've talked about licensed games that just completely diverge from the movie or add in additional elements that were not seen in the film just for the sake of creating a game. So forget about whether the Terminator games are good or not. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the fact that Orion Pictures was so involved to say, hey, we need to follow each of these games needs to follow the general plot of the of the movie, I think is a good thing. It shows that they were actually interested in the development of the licensed property. So I think that was actually a positive that they were taking a little bit more of a hands on approach. Anyway, despite the rejection. Perry still began to work on the title, doing his best to adhere to the film's narrative while trying to create an experience that would be memorable for players. To compose the game's graphics, he recorded himself and Neil Young, the game's producer, performing various actions, which were then loaded into a computer and turned into black and white digital images. He then loaded those images into an art and animation package called Deluxe Paint, which we've talked about a couple times before. That's pretty much the graphic software for game development in the 80s and early 90s. So he loaded those images of him and Neil Young into Deluxe Paint. He digitally removed all of the backgrounds and he recolored the characters to fit into the game world. So in this way, the graphics for Terminator on the Genesis would be created. You might be thinking... That sounds similar to rotoscoping, which we've talked about previously, and you would be right. Conceptually, this was a pretty similar process. I think the reason that most companies used digitized actors or rotoscoping around this time, or at least a lot of companies did, was because the technology didn't really exist for 3D models that could be animated naturally, nor was motion capture really able to translate readily into the primarily two-dimensional games of the time. So, developers used what they had access to, and in the case of the Terminator, that was digitized sprites. Now, unfortunately, not much else is known about the creation of the Terminator for the Genesis, though Perry would talk about the general process years later during a press tour for Enter the Matrix, which was a game that his company, Shiny Entertainment, had developed in 2003. Perry recalls that the overall structure of the game and the fact that Orion Pictures required the game to follow the movie's plot so closely was prohibitive to the enjoyment of the player. 
He also complained that despite having to align with the film's narrative, he wasn't able to use any true elements from the film, such as the likeness of Arnold Schwarzenegger for the Terminator model. I will say, this one was a little bit odd to me, because while I was playing the game, not only did the Terminator look like a pretty good 16-bit representation of Schwarzenegger, but there were also still images from the movie included during cutscenes. So I'm not really sure what Perry was talking about here, but regardless, that was how he felt and that was what he conveyed during one of his interviews. The Genesis version would release to relatively strong reviews, with many individuals praising the game's sound and graphics, while others criticized the gameplay and relatively shallow overall experience. This particular version of the title would be ported to both the 8-bit Sega Master System as well as the Sega Game Gear Portable System. It would not, however, be ported to the Sega CD. Instead, a new version of the Terminator would be created, and in 1993, Virgin Games would develop and publish the new title. Now, it is important to remember that around this time, the majority of games were still being developed for cartridges, with most CD versions of existing titles simply being a conversion of the cartridge version with added elements like CD-quality music, voice acting, and potentially full-motion video sequences. The Sega CD version of the Terminator, however, would be something entirely unique. Taking advantage of the Sega CD's increased capabilities, the game would feature an expanded set of levels that, while still following the plot of the film, would add additional scenes not explicitly depicted in the movie. The overall graphical style would be enhanced from the Sega Genesis version, with not only improved sprites and colors, but also the inclusion of full-motion video sequences from the movie included as cutscenes in between levels. The sound and music would similarly receive an overhaul, as rather than using purely sampled synthesis, the game would receive a full CD audio soundtrack courtesy of Tommy Tallarico. Tallarico would eventually become a relatively big name in the video game music scene, and most recently would be known for his absolute failure in the launch of the Intellivision Amico system. Back in the early 90s, though, he was simply a playtester at Virgin Games who was given several opportunities to begin composing soundtracks for games. The Terminator Sega CD soundtrack would be one of his early game soundtracks and would be composed using real instrumentation and full-scale CD-quality audio. His approach to music actually came under fire with some of the game's producers, as they had felt that the 16-bit visuals combined with real instrument-driven music were disconnected. They thought that the experience would be better if more traditional synthesis-based audio was included. Tallarico made the case that with CD technology, that didn't have to be the case anymore. And eventually, he would win that battle, and his music was included in the game's release. Beyond the sound and the music, there are two other notable items to mention as it relates to the Sega CD version's development. One is that despite the fact that the game wasn't actually a port of the Sega Genesis version, it did contain certain elements of the game that felt directly ripped from that game. Specifically, the title screen and post-mission recaps look nearly identical between the two versions, using the same font and basically just looking incredibly similar. I did read somewhere that the Sega CD version actually utilizes additional levels and elements that David Perry had worked on when creating the Sega Genesis version, but I honestly have no concrete proof that that's true. It is odd, though, that certain elements persist between the versions. 
The other notable item, perhaps most significant to longtime computer gamers, is that the person who did the programming for the Sega CD version of the game was none other than Silas Werner. He was the early computer game pioneer who created the original Castle Wolfenstein, which was the game that id Software used as the initial inspiration for its first-person shooter title, Wolfenstein 3D. I will say that it was a bit of a surprise seeing his name in the opening credits for the game. Anyway, the Sega CD version of Terminator would release in late 1993 to positive reviews, with many praising the game's soundtrack and graphics quality, other than the full motion video clips in between the levels, which many people criticized for graininess and lack of colors, which, honestly, even by Sega CD FMV standards, were kind of poor quality. Gameplay also came under fire, as several critics noted that the game was a one-note kind of experience, and that there wasn't much in the way of lasting appeal. Now, I do want to take a step back here, just from a personal perspective. The Sega CD version of The Terminator was the title that I had growing up, and I absolutely loved it at the time. I had never played the other 16-bit versions of the Terminator. So I'm very familiar with the Sega CD. I was not as familiar with the others. I have a ton of nostalgia for the Sega CD version of the game. I wonder if it's still going to hold up. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Now, beyond Sega's efforts with both the Genesis and the Sega CD, Nintendo was also working on their own Terminator adaptations, with one version released for the 8-bit NES and the other released for the 16-bit Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Although, as with other versions of Terminator, Neither of those games were ports of the other. They were both unique experiences. So that seemed to be a common theme with the Terminator. For some reason, every single version of the Terminator, for the most part, were unique and uniquely created experiences rather than being ports of some other baseline. Speaking of the Super Nintendo version, the game would, as with other Terminator titles, follow the rough structure of the film's plot, Though, interestingly, certain set pieces featured prevalently in other 16-bit versions were cut entirely, most notably the first showdown with the Terminator in a bar and dance club. In its place were behind-the-car driving sequences where you had to avoid getting shot by the Terminator while at the same time avoiding obstacles and other vehicles on the road. Now, the Super Nintendo version would feature the largest levels by far out of any of the three versions we're looking at all of which had no intermittent checkpoints other than the first level, which was split up into three discrete sections, each of those sections you were able to start from if you lost a life. Critics called attention to that issue, often stating that the game was incredibly difficult due to the lack of checkpoints or any sort of continuous system in the game. Reviewers were split on the graphics, with some individuals thinking the graphics were more akin to an NES release, while others believed the visuals showcased the power of 16-bit graphics. So interesting that, depending on who you talk to, some were much more flattering of the game's graphics than others. Overall reviews for the title trended more towards a negative sentiment in comparison to the Sega versions, with the Super Nintendo version oftentimes getting lower scores than any of its Sega competition. Regardless of which version of Terminator you may have played, the significance and legacy of the Terminator intellectual property would transcend any one title. The Terminator became a cultural icon, spawning numerous movie sequels, a television spinoff, and a number of video game adaptations, both directly tied into the movies as well as standalone titles based on the Terminator universe. 
While I don't know that anyone looks back on the 16-bit era of original Terminator titles with particular fondness, short of the Sega CD version, which does have a bit of a following, the fact remains that the Terminator franchise as a whole remains a robotic juggernaut to this day. going to transition to talk about how it feels to play the Terminator today versus when it was released around 30-ish years ago. So just to refresh everybody's memory, we are talking about the three 16-bit versions of the title, those being the versions for the Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, and the Sega CD. And because we're going to discuss three different games, we're going to start with an overview of things that are common to all three and then we're going to dive deeper into each individual experience. So the Terminator, regardless of what version you play, is a run-and-gun game. So what does that mean? In a run-and-gun game, you're going to move side-to-side and vertically through environments. You have control over a character, and you will navigate environments. Oftentimes, there's going to be some platforming that you need to jump from platform to platform or ladder to ladder. You may have to climb ladders. And some run-and-gun games, you go vertically. Others, you go horizontal. Some, you go both. So those kind of run-and-gun experiences, pretty common to the genre, are the same kinds of things you're going to see in every single Terminator game. Throughout the game, you will find different weapons and items like grenades or gun power-ups or different kinds of guns, and you will use those to help dispatch the robotic armies that you are facing. Each Terminator game consisted of multiple levels, and each game had varying lengths. For the most part, every single game in the Terminator 16-bit series would follow the rough story beats and plot points of the film, but they would all do their own unique things, and we'll be talking about those unique experiences in just a couple minutes. As you navigate each of the levels, you will fight a variety of different enemies, whether that's robotic, cybernetic kinds of creatures, or gang members, or in some cases, the police, and typically you will have to deal with a boss of some sorts at the end, though not necessarily in every single level. But, spoiler alert, you will face off against the Terminator because that's the name of the game. So the enemies are all over the map. Typically, like we said, they consist of either robotic forces, if you're in the future, which every single game has a certain aspect or a certain percentage of the game that you're actually in the future. Eventually, you will fight cops and other gang members in 1984 Los Angeles, and you will face off with the Terminator himself. And, you know, it's actually probably a good idea to go over the characters that we're dealing with, just in case anyone isn't super familiar with the story of the movie. Because up to this point, I've kind of assumed that many of you have seen or at least heard of the Terminator and have a general idea of who these characters are as I was talking about them a little bit earlier. So let's talk about each of the characters just briefly. You have the main character in every single game is Kyle Reese. Kyle is the guy that is sent back in time from the future 
to protect Sarah Connor from the Terminator threat. So Kyle is sent back in time by John Connor. John Connor is Sarah's son. And in the future, John is obviously a fully grown man. He sends Kyle Reese back in time to save Sarah Connor because if Sarah Connor is eliminated by the Terminator, who's also sent back in time by the uh, Cyberdyne and Skynet robotic forces, and if he eliminates Sarah, that means there is no John Connor. And John Connor is the leader of the human resistance in the future, the person that is basically leading the fight against the machines. And if there is no John Connor, there is no guarantee that there will be a fight against the machines and the machines may take over the world. So that is the general premise for the story. Incidentally, John Connor is the son of not only Sarah Connor, but also Kyle Reese. So that's kind of an interesting time paradox, time loop kind of thing, because if John never sent Kyle back into the past, he would never have been born because Kyle wouldn't have been there to to actually impregnate Sarah Connor. And if that didn't happen, then John would. Well, OK, I'm getting a little wrapped around the axle on that one, but it's interesting. It is definitely an interesting story. And if nobody has, or if anybody has not seen the Terminator, you should go see it or you should absolutely watch it on TV or it's plays enough. I'm sure. And I'm sure it's available on various streaming services. It's an awesome movie. So you should definitely get a little bit of familiarity that will enhance your enjoyment of the game. If you understand the storyline for the Terminator, because not every game goes into the story in enough detail that you'll be able to pick up on the plot points without having watched the movie. I do want to mention before we start talking about the individual versions of the games that there is one other common feature that I need to call attention to. There were no continues at all throughout any of the game. Each of the games does handle deaths a little bit differently, and we'll discuss those specifics as we go through each version of the title. But one common theme, no continues, which can get a little frustrating. So let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about just in general, what are we going to be talking through as we go through these discussions? We're going to look at each of the individual games with the same kind of criteria or perspectives that we typically look at games during these podcast episodes. So we'll look at the graphics, the sound and the music, the narrative and story, playability and controls, and the overall feel of playing the game. So with that in mind, we are going to start by talking about the Sega Genesis version. So let's talk overview about the Genesis version. This version of the Terminator is split up into four levels, some of which have substages. So the first level is set in the post-apocalyptic future. Then eventually you go back to 1984 Los Angeles and you eventually end up in the dance club and face off against the Terminator for the first time. You then go into a level that's based in the police station, which is another major set piece from the film. And you end the game in the Cyberdyne factory. So you only have four levels to go through in the game, relatively short, and all of those levels are very straightforward. There's really only one path forward in each of those levels. There is pretty much no reason to explore or go off the beaten path at all. Like we talked about, this is a run and gun game, except you can't actually run and gun at the same time. In order to shoot, you must stand still, which is an interesting and I believe flawed 
design decision within the game. But regardless, this is how the game was designed. You cannot move and shoot at the same time. Now, in this title, you have a single life. If you lose it, you are done. There are no continues, no extra lives. You lose your one life, you are terminated, and you must restart the game. Now, it's not like you're going to die from one shot. You do have four hit point bars, and each of those bars can take multiple hits to deplete. You can also replenish your hit points via items that are dropped by enemies. At the very start of the game, you begin with an unlimited supply of grenades, and eventually you find an assault rifle later in that first level, but then you lose it going into the second level, and you play the rest of the game with a shotgun. Now, in this version of the game, there are cutscenes of sorts in between the levels. There are some still images included from the movie, along with some exposition text that's on the screen, and sometimes dialogue exchanges between characters. Now, interestingly, this is the only 16-bit version of the Terminator that actually delivers the story in any comprehensible way out of the three. I know the assumption is that you know what the Terminator is and you've seen the movie, so you don't need to have that story forced down your throat as you're playing the game. But if you don't have that background, if you didn't watch the movie before, you might be lost in some other versions of the title. So... Before we get into the specific elements of the game, I do want to look at what the back of the box says, because as you all know, I, first of all, enjoy looking at the back of the box because I do enjoy learning how the marketing departments and the developers would oftentimes try to sell their games to uh, individuals that are trying to make a buying decision in the store. And all you have to go on at that point is what is on the box. What does the box look like? What does the box say? Because especially back around this time, It's not like we had the internet to look up gameplay videos, and oftentimes you wouldn't even necessarily see articles in magazines for certain games. So all you had to go off of was the box and what was written on the back of the box. So for the Terminator on the Sega Genesis, the back of the box says, The Terminator. Welcome to Los Angeles in the year 2029. A post-nuclear hell where robotic machines rule the planet and the elimination of humans is the priority. You assume the role of Kyle Reese, a battle-hardened commando from this Holocaust future sent back in time to modern-day L.A. Your mission? To protect Sarah Connor, the young woman who holds the key to the future survival of the human race. Your enemy is the Terminator, a cyborg killing machine sent back to destroy her. You must protect Sarah at any cost, but you'd better be fast and smart, because the Terminator doesn't give second chances. Good luck. The fate of the world's future lies in your hands today. Features movie-like soundtrack complete with realistic sound effects and 8 meg of futuristic firepower. And then, as usual, there are a few images on the back of the box. So that is how the Sega Genesis version of the Terminator was marketed. And it sounded pretty good. I mean, if I was in the store and I saw the back of the box and the images looked pretty pretty good too, I'd probably say, oh, let's, let's give this one a try. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the game. And let's start by looking at the game's graphics. Overall, things looked fine, I guess. Between the three games that we're going to be looking at, this probably had the poorest overall graphics from my perspective. The title looked like a limited color 16-bit title, though 
I don't think that was a hardware limitation. I just think it was more of a design thing. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but it did seem like a reduced color palette in comparison to what I believe the Sega Genesis was truly capable of, especially when we look at some other Sega Genesis titles. I will say that the one scene in the game that looked the absolute best was the nightclub scene, which had a pretty good amount of detail. It had great lighting. It was just overall a really well-designed and well-choreographed scene with a lot of great graphics, uh, but that scene only lasted around 15 seconds. Still, there were more colors to look at in that one scene than the rest of the game combined. You can really tell that this was a relatively early 16-bit title, and the graphics don't really have that classic aesthetic that people like to see in retro-inspired titles. They just kind of look like old graphics. I'm not a huge fan of the way the Sega Genesis version of the Terminator looked, though I will say that the animations actually looked okay, especially the pull-your-shotgun-out-from-your-trench-coat animation that you'll see repeatedly in later levels. The only problem with that is that it does add a perceptible delay to the act of shooting, which I absolutely despised, but the animation itself looked cool. So now let's go and look at the uh, the sound and the music, and I've got to be honest here. I don't know what anyone was thinking when they created the soundtrack for this game. It is entirely forgettable. And it's not all that great. It's like they tried to make a synthy kind of thing similar to the movie, but then forgot to add more than just a couple notes. There is no depth to the music here. There's nothing hummable. I don't recall hearing the real Terminator theme, which is pretty close to as iconic of a soundtrack theme as there is out there. I don't believe it was used in the game once. So the music was just, I'm not a fan of the music. And actually, after I played the game and I was thinking about it, I was trying to think, okay, so what did the game sound like? What was the music? And I couldn't remember a single song from the game. I had to go onto the internet and look up the game's soundtrack and listen to it again. And I listened to it as I was sitting there. And all I kept thinking was, I don't remember hearing this music in the game. I'm sure it was there, but it is just the most generic kind of music it just was not memorable at all. And I think they had a real opportunity here to do something. But for me, and this is once again, this is my opinion. For me, they just, they completely missed the mark as it relates to the music for the Sega Genesis version of the title. That being said, the sound effects were okay. There's nothing really to discuss with the sound effects. It sounded appropriate for what you were doing. All of the shots sounded normal. All the explosions and the battle sounds and everything else sounded like pretty typical sound effects for those kinds of things. So I don't really have any complaints on the sound effect front, but overall from a sound and music perspective, it was just a pretty underwhelming auditory experience. Moving on to the narrative and story, all of the main story beats from the movie are here, including some additional exposition from the future setting at the beginning of the game. I actually liked the fact that this version of the game included story explanation between the levels, as well as some of the dialogue scenes between characters to explain what was going on. If you hadn't watched the movie, you could actually play this version of the game and still understand what's going on. And I think they handled this aspect of the game well. As for the story itself, well, I mean, 
it's it's Terminator. So there's not really much to discuss there. If you know the story for Terminator, which we kind of talked about already, you know the story to this game. Uh, there's really not much else to say related to that other than the story for the Terminator and the Terminator movie is awesome. So they absolutely are starting from a pretty strong narrative base. And like I said, I do appreciate that even though the story for the Terminator is pretty well known, the developers did take a little bit of an extra step with the Sega Genesis version to actually explain what was happening in the story in between the different levels. That's not something that is common across all of the Terminator games, and we'll see that as we talk about the other versions. But at least in the Sega Genesis version, I feel like they handled it well. They pretty much handled it so that if somebody, for whatever reason, had not seen the movie, they could still follow what was going on in the game. Moving on to the playability and controls, this is an area that I have a lot to say about this particular game. So the basic controls for the title consist of you walking and jumping around environments, shooting your way through enemies. At certain points, you may need to jump from platform to platform or ascend ladders or duck under enemy fire. So pretty typical kinds of things that you would expect in a run and gun kind of title. The only issue is that almost all of those controls are awful in one way or another. The only thing I can think of that the developers actually did semi-well as it relates to the controls was the act of walking side to side. Literally, that is it. Let's talk about each of these things. Climbing ladders. So you're going to climb ladders in this game. When you climb ladders, it looks, the animations look like a sped up stationary walk, albeit with your character facing away from you. It does not look like you're actually climbing a ladder. It looks like you're kind of walking in place and just kind of floating into the air, which was a little off-putting when I saw that. We talked about this one before. You can't shoot and run at the same time. This is a run and gun game. How is this possible? I mean, I guess actually it's probably more of like a run stop gun game, which doesn't make a lick of sense when there's just no reason. There's no reason for this to be arbitrarily a game where you cannot move and shoot at the same time. You also can't aim up or down. In fact, you don't aim at all other than what direction you're facing. And this is problematic because let's say you're on a set of stairs and there's an enemy coming towards you. Well, tough luck. If they're coming down the stairs and they're above you, you're not going to shoot them. You've got to descend the stairs and wait for them to get down to the bottom of the stairs to shoot. Or if they're coming up from from beneath you, you have to get somewhere that's flat, wait for them to get on flat ground, and then shoot them because you cannot aim up or down or diagonally at all. You can only aim side to side. And, you know, in some games you might say, well, I'll just wait for the enemy to get close to me and then I will shoot him or her or whatever. When the enemy gets closer on the stairs, I might take a little bit of damage, whatever, I'll be able to be okay. But in this game, if you get hit by an enemy, as in physically touched, if the enemy physically touches your character, you lose a ton of hit points. And if you happen to get trapped in between, say, a wall and an enemy and they walk towards you and touch you, your HP will deplete almost instantaneously, causing you to have a game over and having to restart the entire game. 
Now, every level of the game beyond the first level, you have a shotgun, which sounds cool. And I've talked before about the fact that I love using shotguns in video games. I think they're, generally speaking, pretty darn powerful. I enjoy the, the feeling of it, and most games, or at least a lot of games, do shotguns right. But in this particular title, rather than keeping your gun out and shootable whenever you want, as would be typical in a normal run-and-gun kind of title, with the shotgun, you always conceal it under your trench coat, which I will say is an element that was taken directly from the movie. So kudos for following the general storyline or general structure of the film in that regard. From a gameplay perspective, though, by having the shotgun concealed whenever you're not using it, that means that every time you want to shoot, the gun has to be taken out from underneath your coat, which we talked about it. The animation looks pretty darn cool to watch, but it also adds a significant delay between when you press the shoot button and when you can ultimately shoot. You can duck to reduce the amount of time needed to shoot. It somehow reduces the animation. But really, why should I have to duck every time I want to shoot in order to have an acceptable rate of fire? One of the other issues that you encounter is that you cannot jump over enemies or pass through them easily, even after taking damage. It's fairly typical in run-and-gun games to have a moment of invincibility and sometimes the ability to clip through bad guys when you get hit. This doesn't happen at all in this particular title. If you jump into an enemy, you'll get a little bit of a knockback, and that is it. You have no invincibility frames. You have no ability to kind of get out of the situation, especially if you're trapped between the wall and the enemy. You're pretty much going to die if you're trapped. If you're close to a barrier on the other side of you and there's an enemy right next to you, you will die unquestionably no way out of that situation because the simple act of just touching an enemy is enough to deplete your health bar. Now, also speaking of jumping, the whole jumping just feel and animation and everything in the game, it's absolutely awful. You kind of crouch down and then you jump, which just feels kind of jarring. It's not smooth at all, and it makes you not want to jump at all. Uh, luckily, you don't have to jump that often because the, the just feeling of jumping is just entirely subpar. Bottom line, the controls are just not great. So overall, how did it feel to play? Uh, honestly, this was a painful experience. It's both a terribly easy game and short, as well as frustratingly difficult, and it all comes down to random chance, which is even more frustrating. Typically in a run-and-gun game, your success is driven by your knowledge of the levels and the placements of enemies and power-ups. That doesn't mean that you can't have randomness, but there's generally a structure to each level. This game doesn't have any of that. To illustrate that fact, let's talk about each of the four levels in the game. So the first level is a post-apocalyptic future. You're assaulting a Terminator factory armed only with an endless supply of grenades. The issue is that the grenades feel remarkably underpowered, and the enemies spawn constantly and randomly. There is no way to get through this barrage without taking damage, but the only way to recover hit points is by having an enemy randomly drop a health tonic. Sometimes, every other enemy drops health and you're just constantly at full HP. 
Other times, I've literally had no health potions drop at all. The randomness is incredibly irritating, and through no fault of your own, you'll likely die a number of times. Eventually in this level, you do find an assault rifle, and that provides pretty much the only true fun section of the entire game, as enemies get absolutely wrecked when you shoot them. But once again, you can't move and shoot at the same time, so the game even screws that particular fun part up. The second level is back in time to 1984 Los Angeles, where you have to work your way through a bunch of streets to eventually confront the Terminator in a nightclub. Now, as you're navigating this area, you're going to face a couple of different enemies. You will face gang members, which are fairly typical kinds of human enemies. You shoot them, eventually they they drop, and that's totally fine. You will also encounter some helicopters that are absolutely useless. They kind of fly around a little bit. They drop some bombs. They don't really hit you. You can avoid them pretty easily. I don't know why they added that to the level at all, because they are completely and utterly useless. And then you also have police that you have to attack. Now, you can't kill the police, which I guess is is just a, a good thing in general to not to not put into a game that kids are going to play, so I get that. But the way that it the game handles it is it's not like they get knocked out or they, they stay down for any period of time. You do knock the cops down if you shoot them, but then they stand back up, and they stand back up pretty darn quickly. So you have to move through the level pretty quickly. And if for whatever reason you're too close to the cop when he wakes up, you will get hit by the policeman and you will lose a significant amount of hit points. So it is pretty darn irritating to have to deal with the police in this level. I would have rather them just remove the police entirely and just had you fight gang members because in the movie, you're not really fighting the cops. Well, you're not really fighting gang members on the streets of L.A. either. So this is one of those levels that is added purely from a gameplay perspective. But the thing is that it doesn't really do it all that well. Now, let's talk about the Terminator mechanics or the Terminator fight mechanics, because in the second level, at the end of the level, you are in the nightclub that's featured prominently in the film and you do have to fight the Terminator. So in order to fight the Terminator, you have to beat him three times if you shoot him and you knock him down one time and you try to get past him, he will pop right back up. And if you touch the Terminator, oh, you're dead. This is not one of those situations where you take a little bit of chip damage when you touch the enemy. You touch the Terminator, you are going to die. So as you fight the Terminator, you have to knock him down three times. On that third time, he will stay down for a short time, and then he'll pop right back up trying to attack you. So you have a very limited period of time to get past the Terminator while he is down on the ground before he stands back up and starts to try to obliterate you again. Moving on to the third level, this is where we're in a police station, and once again, the enemies here are primarily police uh, gang members as well as the Terminator. Same kind of irritation applies with the police popping right back up, and sometimes you can get sandwiched in between the Terminator and police that are popping back up out of their own little knocked out state, which can certainly lead to your death. You also have some stairs here, which same kind of thing you got because you can't aim up and down or diagonally. You have to wait for the enemies to be on your same level, which can sometimes be problematic, especially if the Terminator is behind you and walking towards you at the same time. 
Um, so assuming you get past the third level, you get to the fourth level, the fourth and final level in the game, which is the Cyberdyne Factory. This is where you will face off against the Terminator one final time. And this level is so incredibly frustrating because it is so random. The way it works is as you navigate around the screen, and it's a fairly large factory with stairs and it kind of scrolls to the left and right. You can climb up and down and all that good stuff. The Terminator will appear at various sections of the screen and start walking towards you. And if you move off the screen, the Terminator may reappear in front of you. And if you move off the screen again, or if you get away from him again, he may appear in a totally different section. There is no true logic to his position. It is purely the game trying to get you to fight the Terminator. So it will position the Terminator in whatever way it can in order to make you fight it. And okay, fine, I get it. They want to try to drive that confrontation. Okay, let's say we, let's say we accept that and we say, well, that's all right. We'll just play the game like that. Eventually, you shoot the Terminator enough, and he becomes a torso, and he's kind of crawling after you. And you might say, okay, well, that probably makes the, the fight a little bit easier. Well, yes and no, because let's say you don't know the path through the factory, because it's not necessarily a maze, but there is a very specific path you have to take in order to be successful. So let's say you don't know what that path is, and you go down one path, and you end up in a dead end. Well, if the game decides to spawn the Terminator against you while you're at that dead end and the Terminator starts moving towards you, whether it is the full Terminator or the torso, you will die because there is no way that I found, maybe there is a way, but I could see no way to navigate past the Terminator if you are blocked between a dead end and that creature. Even if the robot is the torso, which you might think, well, I can jump over it. No, you can't, or at least I can't. So if you get trapped there, you know you're going to die. You know because you only have a single life that you're going to have to repeat the entire game from the beginning. You've basically just wasted the last 15 minutes of your life. The game is not long, so don't, don't think that it's a huge chunk of time that's getting wasted, but it's still... An okay amount of time, especially when you consider how frustrating the overall gameplay is and the overall game is to play. Honestly, any fun that exists in the game itself is just completely ruined by the game's design decisions. So what is our overall verdict for the Sega Genesis version of the Terminator? I really don't even want to talk about it. Should this remain a footnote in gaming history, or should I send a robotic assassin back in time to terminate the game's design document before it could be developed into a game? I don't know the answer to that, but obviously you should not play this game. Even clocking in at only 20 minutes, I wouldn't waste your time. Just go listen to the Terminator theme music on repeat. You'll have a better time than this one. Obviously, this one should have been left in the annals of history. You do not need to play it. Moving on to the Sega CD, because the Sega Genesis version was very painful. 
With the Sega CD, you have a much more traditional run-and-gun game. You can move and shoot at the same time. I can't believe I have to call this out as a feature in a run-and-gun game, but I do because the Sega Genesis version didn't even have that. So the Sega CD version is split up into 10 levels. You have two levels that are focused on the post-apocalyptic future. You have two levels in the Terminator factory in the future once again. Two levels in the Los Angeles streets of 1984 LA. One full level in the Los Angeles nightclub that you fight the Terminator for the first time. One level in the police station and two levels in a Cyberdyne factory. So a total of 10 levels, much longer than the Sega Genesis version. Now you start this game out with several lives and there are a number of one-ups spaced around various levels. Now, if you lose all your lives, that's it. It is game over. But there are a fair number of opportunities to collect some extra lives. And each level in this version of the game has checkpoints at various points. It's not really shown where those checkpoints are, but you do not have to restart a level if you die. There are pretty pretty liberal checkpoints peppered out throughout each of the levels, which is a good thing. The hit point system is pretty similar to the Genesis version. You have multiple life bars that will deplete over time with hit point restoration items spread throughout levels in predetermined positions. There's a red HP cross, which gives you one bar recovered, a yellow HP cross, which gives you full life recovery. And most importantly, like I said, they are at predetermined locations in the levels, which means you can learn where those power-ups are. They are not randomly dropped by enemies which was a horrible design decision in the Sega Genesis version of the game. Anyway, throughout the Sega CD version, you can find gun power-ups throughout each of the levels. And while it does reset when you move from the future levels into the past, you can regain those power-ups as you go. And those power-ups make a pretty big difference in your overall damage potential. You can also find grenades at various levels, which can provide another mechanism for fighting and attacking all of the enemies that you're going to have to encounter. And also, I do want to mention that in between each of the levels of the game, there are full motion video cutscenes. They are only video, no dialogue at all. There's usually some music that plays in the background, as well as playing the full motion video cutscene. The quality of the cutscenes aren't all that great it's a sega cd even for the sega cd it's not all that great but regardless when i was a kid playing this game i thought it was the most awesome thing having scenes from the terminator film in my terminator game so let's look at the back of the box for the sega cd version see if it was marketed any differently than the sega genesis version so for the sega cd version of terminator the back of the box says The Terminator. More ammo. More audio. More action. Just like the movie, you assume the role of Kyle Reese, a traveler from the future who returns to modern-day L.A. to protect the life of Sarah Connor, the beautiful woman who holds the key to the survival of the human race. Your mission. Outwit and outmaneuver a brutal killing machine known as the Terminator. He's big, he's bad, and he's virtually unstoppable. Let's hope you're smarter. Digitized footage from the blockbuster movie, real CD audio, studio mixed in incredible Q sound surround sound. Ten huge main levels pumped up with hardcore weaponry and heavy hitting adversaries. 
stereo-sampled sounds and tracks from the actual movie, and an all-new, high-energy, hard-rockin' music. So you can see there were some differences between the Sega Genesis version and the Sega CD version. They had, generally speaking, the same overall focus, but they were just a little bit different. So let's talk about the more specific aspects of the game. We're going to start by talking about the graphics. And all I can say here is, oh my God, so much better. This felt like a proper 16-bit run-and-gun game. The levels looked really good with a strong combination of evocative colors in each scene. I particularly liked one section of the second stage, where if you navigate to the side of the level, you'll see a foreground shot where Terminator skulls are piled up. It felt ripped right out of the movie, which, in fact, it likely was. It wasn't photorealistic, but that particular foreground scene was, in fact, in the movie. The animations, similarly, were very smooth. Just everything felt right about these graphics. The movement, the climbing, the jumping, all very pleasing to look at. It feels like modern retro title visuals. This is an example of one of those 16-bit titles where it feels like if you would see it today and not know it was made in 1993, you would say, oh, that's probably an indie game that was just trying to recreate that 16-bit retro style. Now, the only critique, and I do have a critique here, is that in between the levels, the full motion video sequences eh, just weren't that great. You guys know I love FMV in games, but these cutscenes were just low quality. I loved the concept, and when I was a kid, I thought it was awesome to have those scenes in between the individual levels, but I can also objectively say that the video quality is really poor. It's not a huge knock. It doesn't really detract from the experience all that much, but I can't not mention it. Moving on to the sound and the music, I am a bit conflicted here. On one hand, the CD audio tracks sound really good, and I think the soundtrack has some really memorable quality rock and metal songs. For the most part, the tracks meld well with the action, so no real complaints there. But I do have a bit of a critique, and my biggest gripe is that some of the music just doesn't feel like Terminator music. It sounds like a high-quality 80s-esque soundtrack to a run-and-gun game. It just doesn't feel 100% like a high-quality Terminator soundtrack. It's a minor nuance, but it is an important nuance. The sound effects... Uh, by contrast, all sounded fine. No issue there. Guns sounded great. The, sh the blasts and explosions sounded all good. So no issue from a sound effects perspective. And once again, the music was good. I just don't know that it reminded me of the Terminator. Moving on to the narrative and story. Similar to the Sega Genesis, this version hits all of the major story beats from the film, including expansion of the post-apocalyptic opening, with four whole levels dedicated to the future timeline before you even travel back in time to 1984 Los Angeles. I did appreciate the focus and extra content there, but at the same time, if I didn't have awareness of the film... I wouldn't really know what was going on in the game, since the in-between level FMV scenes don't really give you much context other than the visual. Still, overall, no complaints here. The game goes through the plot elements that I would expect from a Terminator game, and it does so pretty much as well as what you would expect any game based on the Terminator license to do. Moving on to the playability and controls, this was like a night and day difference from the Genesis version. 
The controls felt great. Top-notch run-and-gun action. You can shoot, you can jump, you can climb, you can throw grenades. Coming into contact with a normal enemy simply takes some hit points and knocks you back, just like nearly all run-and-gun games. Though, I will say, you have to be careful because you can be knocked off of platforms to your death. Coming into contact with a bigger robot or Terminator is instant death, admittedly. But... You could kind of expect that if you walk into a tank treaded robot and he's kind of riding forward it, you would kind of expect to be crushed. So I can I can forgive the game for that insta death kind of situation. That being said, I do have a few gripes. Sometimes the game kind of goes haywire when you're trying to do a stationary diagonal shot, which makes you run forward. Now, oftentimes you do want to run forward but you accidentally get caught in a stationary diagonal shot. So sometimes the controls just kind of fight yourself where it kind of fights you for what you want to do and what the game thinks you want to do. It's not really that big of a deal, but it is a quirk that I noticed. My second gripe is that jumping from ladder to ladder can sometimes be a little bit tricky. And that really only comes into play in the last two levels of the game. And finally, my last gripe is that the falling metal debris on the conveyor belts on the last two levels of the game, uh, those are really frustrating. They slow you down and make it impossible for you to jump. They're not that hard to avoid, except in a couple of sections that will literally cause you to die if you make any misstep, but they are a bit of an irritant. Otherwise, the game felt really good to play. So overall feel for this experience This game was almost a perfect Terminator run and gun. I say almost because I do have a bone to pick with the final two levels of the game. And here's the issue with this. For eight levels of the game, you are fighting through a fair but slightly challenging kind of experience. You're you're not necessarily sailing through the game. If you play the game a few times, you start getting used to it and you can kind of move through the game relatively quickly and without too much difficulty. But for the first eight levels of the game, it is a nicely balanced, challenging kind of experience. As soon as you hit level nine, the final Cyberdyne factory, as soon as you hit level nine, the difficulty spikes to an insane level. I'm talking like a super insane difficulty spike. So much so that the game becomes incredibly frustrating to play. It just doesn't prepare you for that difficulty spike. And I get it. A game should get harder as you get closer to the end. But in my opinion, the difficulty, generally speaking, should be a smooth curve, not a sheer face cliff. If you couple that with no continues, and considering that the earlier levels aren't terribly challenging, but they do take some time to get through you have a recipe for some frustration. So you're going to have to restart the game after getting to level nine or even level 10. You get all the way up there and you hit this insane difficulty spike. You're not ready for it. You die. You have no way to continue. You reset yourself back to the beginning of the game. Eventually, you'll get good enough that you can get through the first eight levels of the game with pretty much not losing a life. And then you get to level nine and you lose all of them and you have to do the whole thing again. It becomes more tedious than anything. And that's driven because of that huge difficulty spike. And I know that if you're emulating this, you'll, you would be able to use save states and avoid some of that issue. You might be able to kind of create your own 
sort of continue system that's not built into the game, but that you can utilize as though it were built into the game. But as we've talked about before, I try to experience each of these games in the way they were designed so that I can more uh, intelligently and more accurately reflect my opinion on how well those original experiences have held up. So the original experience without those continues, without the ability to continue, is just a bit frustrating as you get to that that really high difficulty spike. Even after you become proficient at the last two levels, you never feel comfortable with some of the platforming sections and the timing. At least I didn't. Now, I will say, though, this was my primary complaint about the experience. It does, unfortunately, detract from the game a bit, but not enough to ruin the overall experience of playing the title. So overall, what is our verdict on Terminator for the Sega CD? I will say that if it wasn't for the final two levels of the game, I think this one would be approaching Pantheon levels. But those last two levels do leave a bit of a blemish on the overall experience. It's not that I have an issue with difficulty in a title. I enjoy difficult games. I get frustrated by them, but I enjoy them. But I do have an issue with unbalanced difficulty, as I believe it speaks to a gap in the design process. Because of that, and because of that insane difficulty spike, Terminator for the Sega CD is one of our golden oldies. Out of all the Terminator titles we've talked and will be talking about, this one is by far the best and represents a fine entry in the overall run-and-gun gaming genre. So moving on, now let's talk about our final 16-bit entry, the Super Nintendo version of the game. This one is split up into six levels. The first level focuses on the post-apocalyptic future. Then you move into 1984 Los Angeles, uh, followed by a driving section. The third level, you are driving a car, and you have to drive through the streets to get to the police station, And as you drive, the Terminator is directly behind you or is is pretty much behind you trying to shoot you and you have to avoid obstacles and shoot back at the Terminator to stop him from shooting you. It's kind of a pseudo over the shoulder kind of view in that level. Then you get into the police station, followed by yet another driving section and then the final Cyberdyne factory. So let's talk about those levels just very briefly Uh, The post-apocalyptic future level is split up into three discrete sub-levels. And as you move through each of those sub-levels, you have to work your way through various encounters and a couple of boss fights. Uh, With those sub-levels, if you do die in one of the sub-levels, you can restart at the beginning of that individual sub-level. But otherwise, there are no checkpoints within any of these levels. So you get to the second level, which is 1984 Los Angeles. And this is where you're kind of jumping across a bunch of rooftops in 1984 L.A. And this is a gigantic level. It is very long. It is very difficult. The uh, There are a number of fights with helicopters that you have to go through in this particular level. And they can be a little challenging. You will definitely lose some hit points during those fights. Uh, at the same time, trying to navigate the level and figure out how you can platform and where you should platform and jump from ladder to ladder. Or sometimes you may have to jump down a ledge that you may not even know there's something down there. Uh, It's pretty darn challenging. And especially considering if you die, you restart from the beginning of the level. I would venture a guess and say that the first two levels are kind of the gut check for the Super Nintendo version of the game. If you can get past the first two levels, you can probably beat the game. If you can't, 
then you won't. And the first two levels are dramatically more difficult than the rest of the game. The driving sections are both very similar in that as you avoid the Terminator, uh, and he's trying to shoot you as you're driving, as you avoid the Terminator, you have to either continually shoot him and you can shoot either to the left behind your car, directly behind your car, or to the right behind your car. As you're shooting him, he cannot shoot you. So it behooves you to try to shoot him constantly while at the same time you are dodging all sorts of obstacles on the road itself because if you encounter too many or you you uh, hit too many obstacles, you will eventually die. And the way that the game works is you have to make it a certain distance in each of the driving levels in order to make it to whatever the next level is. Uh, it's actually something that becomes simpler once you can figure out what the patterns are, but be, until you know what the patterns are, until you can kind of see it and play it enough time to realize what the patterns are, because the levels are very pattern driven for the driving levels, it's a little bit frustrating trying to get through those. The police station is an interesting level in that when you start, you actually start with no weapons because you've been arrested. So you don't have any weapons. You have to break out of the prison and find Sarah Connor somewhere. So as you move through the level, you get some limited ammunition. You have to fight through a bunch of gang members. There are cops in this level as well, but they will not attack you. They cannot hurt you and you also cannot hurt them. So it's actually a much better representation of what you can do with the cop based levels than what you see in the Sega Genesis version. And then finally, the Cyberdyne Factory, which is the final level in the game. This one, you just kind of run away from a Terminator that's chasing you. And every now and then you have to try to swing your pipe at him to help or hopefully deplete his hit points before you reach the end. And then um, you get thrown a grenade by Sarah and you can use that to end the game and then ultimately win the experience. So this game had kind of an inverse difficulty curve. It started really difficult and then it got easier and easier as the game went on until the final level was pretty much a cakewalk, which was an interesting design decision. Anyway, that's pretty much the overall level structure of this game. You do start out with five lives and there are several one-ups that are scattered throughout some of the levels. Like we talked about, even though you have multiple lives, you have no continues and every level that you go through has to be restarted from the beginning if you die. Now, this particular version of the title does have some solid run-and-gun gameplay with all of the movement, navigation, and controls you'd expect from a typical run-and-gun experience. The HP system in this game is a little bit different. You have four HP bars, and each bar allows you to get hit two times. You can pick up health packs throughout each level, which replenishes your HP in total. So you can basically get hit eight times is the way it works out because each each hit point bar it represents two different hits. So you can get hit eight times before you die. As you move through the levels, you will encounter various weapon power-ups as well as grenades that you can pick up. And I will say that rapid fire as a weapon power-up is a huge benefit. There are also some other level-specific power-ups like brass knuckles and a bulletproof vest, which adds some diversity to the experience. And in between the levels, you'll see a couple of still frames from the movie, and that's it. There's really no story delivered. Uh, also, this is the only version of the 16-bit Terminator games that totally skips the club scene, which is a relatively major set piece in the film. That is the first time that you meet the Terminator, or at least that the that your main character, that Kyle and Sarah meet the Terminator, and they totally left it out of the game. I don't know why they did that. There had to have been some reason why. 
Anyway, let's take a look at the back of the box for Terminator on Super Nintendo. So, the back of the box says, The Terminator, the battle to save the future, has begun. You are Kyle Reese. Your mission? Go back in time to protect Sarah Connor, mother of John Connor, leader of the resistance of the future. The enemy, Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, the Terminator. Outside, living human tissue. Inside, a hyper-alloy combat chassis, fully armored. It can't be reasoned with. It won't be bargained with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are destroyed. The Terminator brings home all the excitement, tension, and nonstop action of the smash hit movie. Key features include six intense levels of gameplay, scrolling action, battle, and driving sequences, devastating high-powered weapons from today and tomorrow, and stunning Skycam views of driving sequences. So that's what the back of the box says for the Super Nintendo version. All of them sounded pretty darn good. If I look just at the box, as we've seen, not all of them play quite as well as the copy or the marketing copy makes it seem. So let's talk more specifically about the Super Nintendo version, and we'll start by looking at the graphics. This isn't the best-looking 16-bit title available, but it is serviceable. The still frames in between the levels look nicely colored and realistic, and the levels themselves, eh, they're a bit drab with some of the colors. Animations, though, look good, and the character designs are actually pretty great. Some Terminators even explode into much more deformed versions of themselves as they take damage, which I thought was a nice touch. Now, I do want to call special attention to the driving levels. There are two driving levels in the game, and the way they're designed is that it's a behind-the-car pseudo-3D perspective. I'm assuming that it used Mode 7 graphics, which was the Super Nintendo version of trying to kind of scale sprites in such a way that it created the sense or the perception of depth in three dimensions. So, uh, you know, they did okay there. It was kind of ugly looking, but it was a cool concept, and I appreciate that they tried something different with those driving levels. Still, overall, from a graphical perspective, a bit underwhelming. As far as the sound and music, was there music in this game? Honestly, all I remember was kind of a low droning sound in most levels. And even now, thinking back again, I can't recall any particular note in the music. This one was even worse than the Sega Genesis version. It just did not appeal to me at all. The sound effects were fine, they were okay, about what you would expect, same kind of thing with the explosions and shots and things like that, but the music was just not, not good. It just wasn't there, really. At least I don't remember any particular note in this game at all. Moving on to the narrative and story, once again, for the most part, this particular version of the game kind of hits all the same story elements that you would expect, most of the same story Beats that you would see in either the Genesis or the Sega CD version you see here, other than the fact that the Super Nintendo version totally missed the nightclub scene for some reason. This game, though, does include driving sequences, which were another scene that was included in the movie, but was not included in any of the other versions of the game that I had played. 
This one also has the closest to the film ending sequence out of any of the Terminator games, where you have to beat up the Terminator with a pipe as you're kind of walking through this factory kind of thing. So it did, at least from my perspective, it was the most faithful from an ending standpoint to the movie out of any of the 16-bit versions that I played. Uh, The final sequence, though, did also include a pipe bomb, which was a little bit of creative license, but overall, not bad. Though, once again, similar to the Sega CD version, there's pretty much no context given to any of the levels, other than still images from the film interspersed in between each level. I would say that for the Super Nintendo version, not bad from a story perspective, but not particularly great either. And the fact that they didn't even include the nightclub scene that one is a little bit of a head scratcher to me moving on to playability and controls for the most part this controls pretty much like most run and gun titles where you move you shoot you jump from platform to platform in an attempt to get to the end of any given level and overall the controls here feel fine Where the game has some issues, though, is in some of the heavier platforming sections, which is primarily in the second stage of the game. In that stage, you have to traverse a number of rooftops, jumping from ladders, ledges, and windows to move from one side of the city to the other. And what I noticed pretty early on is that the jump in this game felt really floaty, almost cartoonishly so. It was definitely better than the Sega Genesis version, which just felt clunky and and not much like a real jump at all. But this was not nearly as good as the weighty feel of the Sega CD version of the game, where that jump just felt like what you would expect a run-and-gun jump to feel like. So for the Super Nintendo version, what that translated into is additional difficulty in measuring jumps in between platforms and ladders and things like that. And this was particularly prominent when you would have to jump from ladder to ladder, which in the second stage of the game is something you have to do a pretty good amount of times. There's a lot of jumping from ladder to ladder in that second stage of the game. Now, one of the other things that the designers love to do is make it so that you have to bump your head as you jump which means you have to figure out the exact right time to bounce off of your head to land on the platform or ladder that you're trying to access. So what I mean by this is there is very strong, for lack of a better term, collision detection here. If you jump and you hit your head and you have a platform above you, you will hit your head on that and you will not progress through that platform. It'll bounce you back a little bit, which you would kind of expect if you're looking for real world physics, so to speak. So that doesn't bother me. But what does bother me is the number of times that platforms were spaced just enough where you kind of had to do a ricochet off of the platform above you, kind of jump in a diagonal kind of direction and then ricochet down onto the platform that you're actually trying to get to. It was just not very precise. I would say there was around a 50-50 shot whether you would judge the jump correctly or simply plummet to your death because, of course, all of the scenes or all of the areas where this particular mechanic was included If you miss the jump, you're pretty much guaranteed to fall into a bottomless pit and die. And because you have to start over from the beginning of a level when you die, and because the second level is just so darn long, you will definitely get frustrated. And most of the time here, it's really not through any fault of your own. Now, you could say, well, you have to learn level. You have to learn the game, and that 
is technically, I guess, your fault for not knowing what's going to happen in that level. And I will say, sure, I can get behind that a little bit. But at the same time, the way the second level of the game was designed was just very convoluted. And eventually, when you when you finally do understand how the level works and where all the platforms are you need to go, you can pretty much breeze through it. Once you understand the layout of the level, where the enemies are, where the different traps are, how you have to go down and, and jump from some blind platforms to other ones, it's not too bad. But to get there, to get to that level of understanding, takes a bit of work. The driving levels here are also particularly problematic from a control perspective. So let's talk a little bit deeper about this. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but the driving levels, basically what you have to do is you are in a, in a vehicle, a car, a motorcycle, whatever, and you are driving away from the Terminator. The Terminator is chasing you and the Terminator is trying to shoot you as you're navigating these highways and you have to go a certain distance before you can get past the level. Uh, it's not that long of a distance, luckily, but there is a little bit of play there, a little bit of gameplay that you'll have to get past. As you are driving, the Terminator will keep trying to shoot you. The only time the Terminator will not shoot you is if you are shooting the Terminator himself. So you have to constantly be shooting behind you at the same time as you're trying to navigate all of these different obstacles like other cars or cones or traffic blockade kind of things as you are driving down the street. You can both drive normal speed. You can also slow down a bit if you want to try to navigate things a little bit more precisely. And you can also accelerate if you're absolutely crazy and want to die really quickly. So there are a few different mechanisms at play as you're working through the driving levels. But at the same time, when you first start playing the driving levels, at least for me, you will think this is impossible. There is no way you can possibly get through this level. It is it is a, a major roadblock, no pun intended, as you're trying to get through this driving level. And then eventually you see what the pattern is, you see where you have to go, and then it becomes quite simple to get through the driving levels and you can pretty much do it every single time. So I don't know that that's good design or bad design per se. It's just kind of the way the game is. And once you learn the level, once you learn the patterns to recognize and, and when to do, go right versus left in the level, it becomes a much simpler kind of thing. But because you die so much and because you have no continues and because you basically have to restart the game every time you lose all of your lives, it is just something you have to dedicate some time to in order to actually progress in the game. Uh, that being said... The controls were okay. They were fine. And the design of certain aspects of the game does impact the playability, but the overall controls for the experience, I think they were okay. I, I wouldn't write home about them, but I don't think there's anything as egregious as what we saw in the Sega Genesis version of the title. So overall, how did the game feel? I will say that the game felt fine once you learn the levels, and that's going to take you around several hours of repetition, most prominently on the first couple of stages. And even then, the stage you're going to spend the most time on, I would venture a guess, is the second stage. At least that's the stage that I spent the most time on as I was trying to learn the game. And I did spend a good three, four-ish hours learning the game before I could actually complete it in a single run. I really can't stress enough 
how difficult the first two stages feel when you are starting out. They feel like the designers created those levels to destroy you and break your spirit. And I've got to believe that if anybody rented this game, they may have bounced off of it really hard and just decided, oh, you know what? This is one of those impossible games. I'm just not going to play it anymore. And I'll return it to Blockbuster on Monday and whatever. <laughs> that That's the Terminator. So I, I really, I don't know why all the time people would do this, would design games like this, because it didn't just, this wasn't like a one-time thing. There were a lot of games that were designed to be intentionally difficult, but not necessarily difficult from a fair perspective. So they just did that in the 90s and the 80s, and they just kind of designed games like that. I guess it was just part of the design paradigm of the time. Um, I will say, though, once you get the levels down and you you kind of get through the experience, you kind of start getting the feel for what you have to do. You get the first couple levels down and then you hit the first driving level, which once again feels impossible until you figure out the way through the traffic that avoids the Terminator. And then once you get past that third level, once you get past that driving level and you hit the prison level, you start to kind of feel okay. And the prison level is by far the best level in the Super Nintendo game. You start out without a gun. You can only find some limited ammo throughout. You are able to punch enemies in this level, which is the only time you're able to actually use a punch in the game. Uh, the ammo is pretty plentiful, so you don't really have to punch all that long if you don't want to, but it is kind of fun punching the bad guys around. It is by far the best level in the game from my perspective, and it is definitely my favorite level in the game. It feels fairly balanced. It's not too difficult, and it is just the right length. Then right after you get out of the prison level, you hit another driving level, which is a bit easier than the first, especially because assuming you've paid attention to the first driving level, you probably have an understanding of, of the patterns that are there. So you could probably get through that next driving level pretty easily. And then you hit the last stage where you have to beat up the Terminator with a pipe while you move forward and avoid obstacles and traps, which is by far the easiest level in the game. I completed that level on my first try. No loss of life at all. It was ridiculously simple. This is a prime example of an inverse difficulty curve. The game starts out super hard and then gets easier as you go until you finally get to that last boss, which is just a cakewalk. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I will say, though, early on, I absolutely despised this game. I thought it was the most awful experience ever because it just felt so poorly designed, so difficult, unnecessarily so, that it just was breaking my will a little bit. After putting in some time to become proficient, however, I actually ended up kind of enjoying it, which was odd to me. I did not expect that. After the first hour or two with the game, I thought, this is not for me. I mean, I'll, I'll complete it because I, I kind of have to. That's part of my thing as I'm working through all of these different games, but I wasn't going to like it. And eventually I did. Eventually I started to, to at least come around to the, the pros of the game and not just focus on the cons. So I did ultimately kind of sort of enjoy the experience. Uh, I would never say that it's a great game, but it does actually become fun once you're not constantly dying and restarting the levels. So what is our overall verdict on the Super Nintendo version of the Terminator? This one is our middle of the pack entry. 
It's not nearly as good as the Sega CD version of the title, but at the same time, it is much better than the Sega Genesis version. It has enough good to not be a total waste of time, but it's not good enough to be recommendable to the majority of the population. I truly believe that many people will try the game, hit the first couple levels, and never return. It just doesn't make a great first impression, and you have to really want to experience the game to persevere long enough to overcome that upfront challenge. There is something here for those who push through, I just don't know if enough people would remain interested long enough to find that goodness. For those reasons, this title is one of our mediocre mentions. You may have some fun here, but I honestly can't recommend you play it, unless you're willing to put in the time to overcome the arbitrarily difficult start of the game. Wow. Well, that was a journey. Three 16-bit Terminator games. Three very different experiences. The moral of this story... I actually don't really know what the moral was. This was just a roller coaster of emotions. And over the past week, as I was playing each of these titles, I experienced so many different emotions throughout all of those games. I guess I'm happy I did it. Maybe, I guess. Though I will say, I do not recommend anybody else doing the same thing that I did. If you want to get a dose of Terminator... Play the Sega CD version and have a blast doing it, at least until the last two levels. Even better than that, go watch the movie. It is a true classic, and while none of the video games based on the first Terminator film totally hit the mark, there is definitely fun to be had here. Except the Genesis version. Feel free to throw that one into a vat of molten metal to protect humanity's future from ever having to experience it again. That was our episode on The Terminator. I hope you all enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to reach out, let me know how I'm doing or give suggestions, comments, feedback about the episode or talk about just classic gaming or technology in general, I would love to hear from you. And there are a couple ways you can get in touch with me. You can either reach me on Twitter with the handle at ClassicGamingT. I also have an email address, which is ClassicGamingToday at gmail.com. I am legitimately interested in hearing what you think, so feel free to write in. Before we sign off for the week, I do want to mention that our next episode is going to be focused on Snatcher, Hideo Kojima's early adventure game. So feel free to write in if you have any particularly fond or not so fond memories of that experience. At the same time, I recognize you're likely listening to this on any number of podcast engines or podcast services. It would be great if you could leave me a review on your podcast service of choice. This is not about bolstering star counts. It's not about trying to harvest a ton of good reviews, though obviously if, if you do feel that way and you leave a good review, that is awesome. That means that I'm doing something right. What it really is all about, though, is getting the feedback necessary to create the best possible podcast that we can. 
I really want to make sure that we continue to build the community around this podcast. We're getting new listeners every day, which is awesome. I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to build that. And the only way we can and the only way we can still be successful is if you let me know what we're doing right. And if there are some suggestions for what we could be doing differently, let me know that too. I am legitimately interested in hearing what you think. We'll be back in around a week with our next episode focused on Snatcher. Until then, remember, sometimes the games of the past are just as good, if not better, than the games of today. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>